forever be transformed by it in Jesus' name. Let not a one of us live our lives and not know what destiny is all about and fulfill it. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. There are a number of steps that I'm going to give you today to help you identify your destiny and walk in it. We've been using that verse that I love so much in Ephesians 1 and 11. I'm not even going to read it now. But in Romans 12 and verses 1 through 2, there's another familiar scripture. Therefore, I pray you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He predicates the reasonableness of his request upon what God has done. That unless you think this is too much that I'm asking you, just remember what your Savior's done for you. And he said, this would be holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He makes the connection between sacrifice and worship. And sacrifice in the Bible was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week thing. They offered a sacrifice in the morning and another in the evening. The one in the morning literally burned throughout the entire day. The one at night burned throughout the entire night. And so worship is to be an ongoing thing. David demonstrates this when he removes the veil in the tabernacle because there's always a veil if you're not worshiping 24-7. And he puts 288 worshipers around, as it were, the Ark of the Covenant and is able to remove the veil because these 288 worshipers worship in shifts and literally 24-7 God is surrounded by worship. And so what Paul is actually saying is live the worshiping life. Now, if we, were, if we lived in those days and did sacrifices, we'd understand what he's talking about here. Culture would enable us. Being removed from sacrifices as a form of worship, uh, other than in sacrificial giving or service, perhaps, we don't understand that. And then he says, after you've moved into this worshiping life and given yourself as a sacrifice, which, by the way, he says, is only the right thing to do considering what God has done for us, and giving his son, then do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, suggesting that conforming to this world is more about thinking than it is about action. And I often do this. It's been a while. Put your hand on your forehead and say these words. If I can change my mind, I will change my world. Amen. And you're going to have to make up this, bu- this building, this auditorium is usually full. It was in the 9 o'clock service, but we had a huge rain, and I guess that's what happens. But just simply, I need you to help me out and preach a little bit harder today. Amen. And he said this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When can you discover destiny or the will of God? It's after you have first experienced the sacrificial life of worship, worshiping 24-7. And in addition to that, after you have changed the way you think to not conform to the thought processes of this world and your mind has been renewed, then you can be able to discover what God's will is or destiny is. Now, I'm going to give you over the next week and uh, this week and next week 12 ways to determine what your destiny is. I have purposefully in the course of this series tried to create frustration. By describing destiny, for most of us, that in itself is alone enough 
it is enough is to, to, to bring us to a place of frustration. If you're not walking in destiny and you feel unfulfilled, hearing someone else talk about it juxtapositions the completeness of who you can be against the emptiness of where you are and makes you wonder, isn't there more? What happened just this week in Connecticut, this horrific, tragic event on Friday, is a demonstration, in my mind, of people that have not discovered destiny. When you are walking in destiny, you are fulfilled in a way that you can't imagine. On the other hand, when you're not, and you live your life feeling like a cipher, a zero, there is this cry inside that I'm going to make myself heard. You're going to know who I am one way or another. Some people slip quietly into anonymity, live their lives and die. Some even take their own life in frustration. Others choose to do as much damage as they can and at least die with a measure of notoriety where your name will be known from one end of the nation, even one end of the world, to the other. A 20-year-old young man, however old he was, 22, that shot 20 innocent children, five and six years of age, total of 27 or 28 people dead, that was caused by someone not knowing their destiny and not walking it out. And so I'm going to give you these measures and these steps because it is very important. I will also tell you that more frustration is brought to marriages by people who don't know destiny. Marriages end that shouldn't have ended because people have no sense of destiny. Not only that, people quit jobs because they have no sense of destiny that they were supposed to continue to work at. People give up businesses or fail to start businesses, and they should have because they have no sense of destiny. And these are not the only ones that, the only ways you can find destiny, but I'm going to suggest 12 I know about. There may be others, probably are others. Kind of like the problem that NASA encountered with riding in space. You know, when NASA first started sending astronauts out into space, there was this huge problem. They could not write because in outer space there's no gravity. And the only reason that your fountain pen and ballpoint pen work is because gravity causes the ink to be fed through the tube into the nib of the pen, the point of the pen. In outer space, even when you're holding the pen correctly, there's no gravity, so there's no ink flow. A drop of water, for example, just hangs suspended. That's why they have to vacuum the water vapor out the inside of these spacecraft, these space labs and so forth in outer space. Vacuum it out, it just hang there. So does ink. And so they posed this problem to their scientists, and over the next 10 years, NASA, to combat the problem, spent $12 billion to develop a pen. It writes in zero gravity, upside down, underwater, on almost any surface, including glass, and at temperatures ranging from below freezing to 300 degrees centigrade. To show you that there's always another way, the Russians used the pencil. Didn't make it up. We can complicate it or make it simple. Choice is ours. I'm hoping I'm going to simplify this today. How do you know your destiny? Number one, first you need to know the difference between a call and a burden. 
Tell somebody you need to know the difference between a call and a burden. Would you do that? Yeah. Oh, that's quiet. My God, I'm used to it. Amen. A call is what God has sent you to do with your life. That's destiny. A burden is usually a feeling of concern on your heart about something. It's what's called a burden. It's a weight. It's an emotional weight. And usually what a burden is all about, it means you're supposed to pray for something. It's different than a call. A call is destiny. A burden is a, means you're supposed to go pray. Every undertaking in the kingdom of God has to be girded in prayer. Yes, it does. Covered in prayer. There are several reasons for that. Reasons we need to pray. Two that are prominent that I can think of immediately. Number one, you cannot work in the kingdom of God in human ability and accomplish anything. You need the empowerment of God Almighty. And the reason you must pray, I don't care how good you sing if you don't pray, you may hit me here, but you're not going to change me here. No matter what level it is, teaching, ministering, any service you do for God, you have to pray to become effective and powerful in that. Jesus said it this way, John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. No prayer, no fruit. Everything that is done in the kingdom of God has to be undergirded in prayer. This is really why it's important that believers be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know where somewhere down the way people made this a matter of, what's the least I can do to be a Christian? Do I have to have the Holy Ghost? No, if, you, if you're hungering for God, you want all of Him you can get. Amen. You know what I mean? Let's stop making it about, you know, what's the minimum requirement. Jesus told his disciples, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is to empower us to be able to do the work of God that we cannot do in this world by ourselves. We have been called to serve God, but we can't impact this world without God. No matter how well-meaning we are, sincere we are. And on the other hand, there's a second reason that God burdens people. You know, and so many people have been misled through the years. I know saints that don't understand what I'm talking about. They think they've wasted their life because they had a burden and they misunderstood and thought it was a call. They had a burden for missions but never did go to the mission field. They had a burden to preach but never, or for, for preaching but never did become a preacher. They had a burden for this and a burden for that. But that wasn't their call, only they didn't know the difference between the two. You hear what I'm saying? And so they live their lives in quite frustration, always believing I'm out of the will of God and I'm not fulfilling my purpose. Next thing you know, they got married. They couldn't go to the mission field. Had kids. Had things that tied them down. They weren't supposed to, but the enemy's been beating them up for 45 years, telling them you've missed God's call on your life. No, they haven't. But they're empty because they didn't know there's such a thing as a burden and a call. The call is one thing. The burden is something else. They were supposed to be praying. Not only because every undertaking of the kingdom must be girded in prayer and covered in prayer. But secondly, because every kingdom work is going to be opposed by the enemy. 
And God calls people to do a work and burdens them and others who are not called to do that work to cover that work in prayer because he knows it will be opposed by the enemy. Am I making any sense to anybody right now? Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 16, 8-9. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. If you want to read the historical references to this and what he was describing, go to the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Huge revival. He met disciples of John that had not yet learned about Christ, prayed with them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Great revival broke out. So much so that you know what happened? Silversmiths, who were the ones making the idols that the people in the community and the city were worshiping because they were idolatrous, they were pagans. Silversmiths started going bankrupt because so many people were being converted, they weren't buying the idols any longer. And they had kind of like a silversmith's union. And the head of it was a guy named Demetrius. It would be the same thing here as if there was a great revival and people started stopped drinking and the liquor stores suddenly went out of business. Yeah, hallelujah, amen. Well, that's what happened when Paul had revival in Ephesus. The shops selling idols went bankrupt. And so the silversmiths got together and led by Demetrius who was their spokesperson, they started a riot. And Paul is going through hell. But on the other hand, you must remember, he's in his assignment and his destiny. And what did I tell you? When you're in your assignment, no weapon formed against you can prosper. You experience spiritual immunity. And so what Paul is praying for, he's telling the church, a great door, I'm having huge revival, just pray for us because there's a lot of adversaries. Keep us covered, church. What he's saying is, this is my call. Can you feel a burden to support me in my call? Amen. I'm not calling for you to come join me, but I'm calling for you to pray for me. Number two, how do you discern your assignment? What is God telling you? This is why Paul begins in Romans 12, before he ever says anything by proving what is God's will and finding God's will, he says, first, offer yourself as a living sacrifice do this whole sacrifice thing where sacrifice or worship is not something you do 15 minutes in the morning and then again on Sunday. And we've gotten so lazy. And again, I'm not meaning to fuss here, but just look around you. This building is usually full. Let a little rain come. Amen. You're not going to need God when it rains? You hear what I'm saying? Amen. Look, people don't realize the, the foolish things that we do in life and how we position ourselves incorrectly, then we will cry, Ooh, I'm not being blessed. Why? Because we haven't lived the 24-7 life of sacrifice. Let me explain what that means here. Again, Brother Lawrence wrote this book. He was a, a monk in a monastery that impacted my life. If you've never read it, I strongly recommend it. And the book is entitled Practicing the Presence of God. It literally turned my life upside down because I thought prayer was events occasions when you talk to God I didn't know there was such a thing as that you could live in the spirit of prayer and in the presence of God I thought you visited God when you went to church and visited him when you prayed and brother Lawrence had an ignominious job it wasn't the greatest job in the world you know what his job was washing the dishes and pots and pans in the monastery 
not necessarily something you're going to get a lot of recognition for. I mean, how good can you do washing pots and pans? Somebody going to come in and call you, you're the best pot washer I've ever seen in all my life, you know? I doubt it. You're going to work in quietness and nobody's going to ever recognize you. And he learned to practice the presence of God. He didn't wash the pots and pans and dishes for the monastery or the other brethren who were there. He washed them as a sign of worship to the Lord. Lord, this is my worship to you. That's when life becomes powerful. That changed my life. Amen. And the reason that it's so important is our definition of prayer is often skewed. We think prayer is presenting to God our shopping list for the day. Help me out with this. And if we don't have everything we need, oftentimes we become lax in our prayer. I mean, it's a truism of life that we often pray the most when we need the most. And it shouldn't be that way because if you're doing this 24-7, I'm walking in the presence of God. Everything I do, I do for you, Lord. You know, my mind's always stayed on you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. You know, that kind of thing. You're in the presence of God 24-7. Paul said, then you're going to be able to prove what is the good and perfect will of God. Why? Why? It's because God has more to say to you than you have to say to Him. And if your prayer life consists of time in which you devote to talking to God, and that's your prayer life, you may miss out on what I just got through saying. That He has more to say to you than you have to say to Him. Amen. I'm so glad that I learned that. Because not only do you need to understand uh, that, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, there's a difference between a call and a burden. But secondly, you need to know that only when you're talking to God, can God talk back to you. And so it's important that we have this, this frame of mind and hear what God has to say about our lives and our future and our destiny. Amen. We need to know what God's plan for us is. And why is this important? Because so many times we just get inspired. We hear something and we say, that sounds pretty good thing, I'll go do that. But it wasn't God's will. And we go try it and we don't get anywhere with it. And how many, how many mistakes like that do we normally make in the course of our lives before we discover we need God? The answer to that question is unfortunately, many times we make a lot of mistakes that way. We don't pray. We don't seek God. We need to hear what God is saying about our lives. Amen. And number three, the third way that you discern what is God's will for your life and your destiny is what is God telling others around you. This really becomes huge because no single one thing that I'm mentioning today is by itself worthy or strong enough to help you determine the will of God without reference to the others. Amen. It's only when you put these things together that you find that there's a pattern emerging. But why is it that what others see in you is important? It's because after you have talked to God, after you think you've heard from God, do be aware that you can make a mistake. Some of these people that have killed all these folk claim that they did it because God was talking to them. I can tell you flat out, he wasn't. Amen. And people have made other mistakes in life because they thought God was telling them to do that. And they were sincere, but sincerely wrong. And so anytime I need direction, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek input from people around me that I trust will tell me the truth. Proverbs 15, 22 through 23, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Wow. 
The multitude of counselors, the King James says, there's safety. That's a good word. Safety. Where? In the multitude of counselors. Now, what exactly does that mean? There will be counselors in the course of your life that are expert and experienced in different matters. Don't go to Uncle Joe when it's Friday evening. He just got paid that afternoon, and he's already knocking at your door Friday evening to get a loan till the next Friday. Don't go to Uncle Joe for investment advice. I keep telling us that, but it's amazing that sometimes we listen to the wrong people. On the other hand, society has perverted the understanding of friendship to the point that now we don't know who our real friends are. It's true. The one who tells you the truth rather than what you need to hear is the one that is really your friend in the long run. Yeah, but socially, we have made it pretty clear in society that the ones we like are the ones that that go easy on us don't hold us accountable tell us what we want to hear the tragedy of that is that many times we make mistakes and we look back and where's that person who said oh yeah that's god's will go for it you know they're nowhere to be seen then the bible said the wounds of a friend are true they're faithful you mean a friend can wound you a real friend can You can go to a real friend and you think that you have heard from God and he can say, but have you considered this, this, and this? Now, on on the other hand, those of you that have an irritating personality. Nobody in this building like that, right? Okay, just remember this if you ever meet anybody that has an irritating personality. Do you know some folk, their assignment in life is to tell you off. Never met anybody? Oh, I met folk, that was their anointing. Amen, hallelujah, I felt good about that. Hallelujah, amen. I mean, they tell you often feel really, really happy about it. Don't use what I'm saying right now as an, as an excuse to go and be offensive to someone. Have you ever had somebody come to you though and or you go to anyone and you're telling them something and you feel this and, and they begin to point out things you never thought about and by the time they're done, you're like, wow, I really am glad I came and talked to you about this. That's the kind of friend I'm talking to you about. Not somebody that just, you know, high fives you and says, go for it, man, that's it, yeah, yeah. Because they won't be there to pick up the pieces if you made a mistake. Amen. You need people that will tell you the truth. Why is it this is significant? Because revelation is called light in Scripture. Zechariah, it shall come to pass that at evening time there shall be light. Okay? It's referring to the sun. Sunlight is light. Guess what? When you step outside and you see the sun, you don't say, I see something y'all don't see. I see the sun. Anybody that can see, sees the sun. My point is, is when it's God's will, someone else will see that too. And they will be able to affirm that in you. But if they say, hey, 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 man, uh, that's somebody's flashlight. That's what that is. You might ought to listen to them if several people tell you that same thing. And there's a place in the scripture where this very thing happened. In Acts 13 and 2, there are no more two powerful characters in the entire Bible than Saul, who became the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, son of consolation. Why do I say these are two of the most powerful characters in the Bible? Paul wrote half of the New Testament. He's our apostle. No one in the entire New Testament era was as understanding of theology as he was as powerful this man was he was the preacher's preacher okay he was 
You talk about a man of God, he was that and something else. Amen. On the other hand, Barnabas is the person who mentored him in ministry. This is what makes Barnabas so powerful. When others didn't see anything in Saul because of what he had come from persecuting the church, that was his background, they didn't want to do anything with him. Barnabas had the ability to look into Saul and see greatness. And he mentored that greatness in Saul until he became the apostle Paul. These are powerful men. Yet look how God calls them to ministry. In Acts 13 and 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, uh-oh, there it is again, that whole prayer thing, that whole 24-7 worship thing. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Who was he talking to? The church leadership, the spiritual covering. He didn't say to, Paul and Barna, uh, to Saul and Barnabas, I've set you aside. He said to the leadership, set aside Barnabas and Saul. This is so huge because this simply means that whenever you are in the will of God and you are discerning your destiny, somebody else is going to be able to see that other than you. It's this whole light thing, this whole sun thing, this whole revelation thing. Somebody else will see it. Amen. And this is why we all need to be connected and under spiritual coverings. Amen. Now, at the same time, I want to tell you this. Don't listen to somebody who wants to manipulate and control your life by telling you everything God has told them you're supposed to be doing. Because there are some people who derive a morbid sense of self-worth by telling you what God's will is, and it's really called spiritual witchcraft. It's manipulation. It's control. God's called you to be a missionary to Malaysia. You never even heard of Malaysia. Amen. No, you tell them you go to Malaysia. I've never even heard of the place. That usually fixes that real quick. But you're going to miss God. God gave me a word. The reason he gave you the word is it's for you. Go thou and do likewise. You know, don't let people tell you the will of God for your life. And I've got to balance this. But on the other hand, when you're seeking God's will and you think you've heard the voice of God, run it by counsel. Amen. And make sure that counsel is not just people who will tell you what you want to hear but people whose opinions you can value, who will be honest and open with you. Amen. Number four, clues and ways that you can identify your calling. I'll get to number four, but let me just recap. Number one, know the difference between a call and a burden. Number two, what is God telling you? Make sure you spend time in God encounters and with God and in worship. Number three, what is God telling others? And number four, what is your passion? Because your passion is always a clue to your destiny. Amen. There is a reason, and you need to hear what I'm saying, there is a reason it is difficult to find the will of God for your life, your destiny. It is intentionally, deliberately difficult and challenging for the very same reason that it is difficult to find the woman or the man you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with. It takes years, years to learn the person you're married to. I've been married to this little woman for 45 and a half years. I'm still learning stuff. I know I'm a slow learner, but nonetheless, amen. Amen. And it's all these years you invest into a relationship that make you stay when that relationship is tested and tried. That's why you don't bail out and go find another. Amen. Because you know I went too, too, too much to get to where I'm at right now. 
And like I've often said, and you've heard me say it before, forgive me for being redundant, but people ask you uh, uh, questions like, you ever thought about getting divorced? People ask me that. I said, no, murder many times, but divorce never. <laughs> Amen. Amen. My wife and I have discussed things like this, and I've told her point blank, you ever leave, I'm going with you. And I meant that too. I don't want to have to go through all this again. If your idea of fun is single bars, <laughs> not me, I'm running from that. Uh-uh. It's taken me all this while to learn this woman and her to learn me. And now I'm going to walk out just because we have a fuss over whether I squeeze the toothpaste on the end or in the middle. <laughs> You're laughing, but people have gotten divorced over stuff just that silly. Really. I know people that have gotten divorced and their big argument was, where do you squeeze the toothpaste? And you know what I want to say? Get a life for heaven's sake. Amen. Little stuff like that. What is your passion? The reason you chose the career that you're in and stayed with it through the learning process is because of passion. And what keeps you from bailing out when your boss doesn't treat you right? Passion. It took you a long time to get here. You had to work hard to find it. And once you found it and you made your choice and established your career, you're not likely to bail out on it anytime soon just because of a challenge or two. Same thing is true in ministry. It's taken me years to get here. I'm at a point right now where I can do more good than I've ever been able to do in my whole life. But it's taken me a while to get here. Has it been easy? No. What's kept me going through the challenges? The passion that I have. Yeah. That's what makes you stay in it. Do you know that most people view public speaking as one of the most frightening experiences of their life? And on, in most surveys, they would rather die. They fear death less than public speaking. One of my friends who's now going to be with the Lord, Dr. Fred Foster, earned doctorate as well. One, a brilliant man, had the mind of an attorney. This guy was something else. Two sons, both of them grew up, became powerful preachers pastor great churches one in texas the other one thing in north carolina somewhere's the last i'd heard from him but this guy was incredible i used to preach for him and fred foster told me the story of how he got involved in ministry you know what he said he was a big stout guy strong tall kind of heavy set amen but back in the early days he said you won't believe it i was a little skinny guy tall but slender and he said in those days we had these huge pulpits how many of y'all remember those huge pulpits Amen. Let me tell you what that was for. If you passed out, nobody could see you fainted on the floor. That's, amen. These huge, huge pulpits. And they would sometimes put the communion tray inside of the, the pulpit. There were usually a shelf and a big open place in there. And he was invited to preach his first sermon. He'd been feeling the call of God. And he told his pastor. And the pastor said, you know, in some little meeting, prayer meeting or something. They said, well, we'll let you preach. This little prayer meeting. And, and invited him to. And he got up and read his text, and all of a sudden, this whole thing, fear set in. You don't know the anguish early in my ministry that I had, I mean, knowing I was going to speak the next morning or that night. I mean, I live in that stomach tied in knots. I mean, this knowing my background, you, you need to understand where I came from, the insecurities, and, and I was terribly introverted. Jerry used to think I was stuck up when I first met her. I wasn't. I was just terrified. That's all. Amen. Seriously. I, I, I Scared to death, you know, the way I was raised. I had a lot to overcome. What kept me going through all of this process? Passion. Because I knew I was called of God. 
and I wanted this more than anything in the world, enough to humiliate myself. Fred Foster said that's what he did to himself. He got up and preached, and he said he he did so bad. You talk about drop your watermelon. There were seeds in the balcony even, amen. You talk about make a mess of things. He was so embarrassed, he thought he'd never live it down. He wanted to change his name and move to Nome, Alaska, amen. And he said he preached so bad, he couldn't stand, couldn't bear to face the people. So he said, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. And some of them didn't. They were praying with their eyes open. Everybody bow your heads and close your And he said he finally got everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. And when they did, he opened the door of the pulpit and crawled inside and closed it. And then when everybody finished praying, he could hear them talking. They opened their eyes and said, where'd he go? He was inside the pulpit. And finally somebody came up and closed the service. And he waited until the last one had gone and turned out the lights when he opened the door and crept out and went home. He was that humiliated. What makes a man get back in a pulpit after that kind of an experience? That should have been the alpha and the omega right there. What makes you go back after you have blown it? It's your passion. That's why you stay in the job, the profession, the calling, the vocation you're in when you mess up. That's why you stay in the marriage when you mess up. It's passion that keeps you going through it. So a clue as to your calling is where is your passion at? But again, this can only come after you have sought God. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean He will give you everything your heart's desired. It means when you... Pursue Him that He will put desire within you. And all of a sudden, the things that really matter in life, He will make things like your destiny. All of these things become passionate to you. Amen. And so, the first thing is, you need to know the difference between a call and a burden. Don't spend your life in quiet anonymity, feeling you failed God, when really what you had was a burden. Discern your destiny. Number two, what's God telling you? Number three, what's he telling others? Number four, what is your passion? And number five, what is your struggle? We were just this week, in fact, the last couple of weeks, last week and a half, I've been, I think, six different nations, seven maybe. And I took some of the guys from the church. Andrew went with me. He had been invited to preach with me in South Africa. They had invited him. And uh, Rashad Fortson, one of the youth pastors, and, and then Jerry Hartless, one of the sons of the church. And Jerry is a very, very successful businessman, started his own company, he and a, uh, a, a, his business partner, and they've done very, very well. And I mean, God used all of these guys this week. Used me. We had a blow up. And we were visiting uh, this, this one ministry that is connected with us that some of the folk in the church uh, have even bought a, a bus for the orphanage there because they have these orphans and these kids, and it was the most precious thing. And I was there when they were putting these kids on the bus and each of these little kids, I'm talking about numbers of them, AIDS orphans, they have, they're HIV positive. And some of them, you should see the before and after pictures. Incredible. Some of them, they were called to take, and they were dying and said, this, they probably will not live through the day. But this bus, Acasio, the director of the ministry, is telling me every single one of these, we put their names on the seat. Every child has his name on a seat, and they're so proud because though they're orphans and have nothing, They stick their little chest out, and that's my seat. I have purpose here. I have a place. Oh, it it touches you. And Acasio started all of this first by building a drug rehab center. Because what is your struggle is is the point I'm making. Acasio's struggle was drug addiction. 
In fact, in a drug-enraged state, he, he stabbed a man. Did time in prison in Angola. Not Angola, Louisiana, state pen. Angola, the country in Africa, the southern part of Africa. His wife, Ruth, she was also a drug addict. They got hooked up to afterward and got married. God led them together. Cossio was freed from prison with a knack backpack and $70. He hitchhiked to Mozambique and started a drug rehab center. And that drug rehab center has now run 10,000 drug addicts through it. Their success rate is 78%. You know what the average success rate in a drug rehab center is in America? Between 4 to 10%. And they're not even sure. Some say as low as 2%. And the reason they're not sure is they can't get all the statistics, but it's abysmally low. It's disappointingly low. And yet you walk into that drug rehab center over there, and we did, and I preached, and I mean, it blew up. You walk in, I mean, like, there are these guys, these men and women, 120 of them that they have right now, patients in the drug rehab, and I mean, they're radical for God. And it's like, you're back in Sparta, woo, 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 you know, I mean, I'm there for a few minutes. I want to go bark the, bite the bark off trees. I'm looking for the devil. I want to tear the nose off his face. You know what? I mean, he don't need to come looking for me. I'm looking for him now. Why? Because I'm with these people that were radically messed up. And Jesus said, those who are forgiven much will in turn love God much. You see, when you've come from somewhere... You hear what I'm talking about? It puts, am I right, Dunker? Amen. Puts passion in your heart. When God's brought you out of through what you should never have survived. Never have survived. It's incredible. And we were there and we had a blowout, man. And I looked at that and I was reminded again. The reason that this thing is so powerful is because this guy has an authority that a lot of people running drug rehabs don't have. They have a burden, but this is his call. Oh, now I'm going to make it real to you. Because nobody has authority until they've walked through it and conquered it themselves first. And when you defeat the enemy, it gives you authority over the thing you've defeated. Are you waiting? Are you ready? You're hearing? You're waiting to receive a word? I'm going to give you one right now. The thing you're going through, when you conquer it, you've now got authority over that spirit named by that name. And you can bring a breakthrough into somebody else's life. Yes, you can. You can bring and release breakthrough in somebody else's life because you've conquered the principality of that particular thing that you were struggling with. And some of us struggle with things, you know, and we wonder why and we run from the struggle and complain about the struggle when really... That is all part of formulating our destiny. And so you shouldn't complain about it. You ought to just face it. You can't defeat or change what you don't confront. Stop. Stop running. Turn around and face it and roll up your sleeves and say, you and I are getting ready to do war. And through the name of Jesus, I'm going to defeat you. And before I'm done, I'm going to bring a breakthrough to everybody else that's walking through the same thing that I'm struggling with. Now, I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you something. The only reason I'm going to tell you is because Jerry Hartless was smart enough to figure it out. And he has a, a, an anointing for finance. And he's watching me, and he pulls me aside one day, and he said, Richard, he said, Rich, it's what a lot of the people call me. It's my, been my nickname my whole life. Rich, he said, I've noticed this about you. Everybody that you come in contact with that gets close to you that you're mentoring, 
they start having financial breakthroughs. And he's referring to some of the business people in the church that I personally mentored. He said, why is that? And I said, Jerry, I'm going to tell you a little story nobody else knows. Nobody knows. Years ago, there was an elderly minister up in his 70s named Bor Shoemake. And I preached for his son, Jimmy, in, in the state of California, San Jose, California. And Bor set me down. And he said, son, you've got an anointing for ministry, but let me tell you something a lot of people don't know. It takes finances to make ministry happen. So the same anointing you have for ministry is an anointing for finances. I never saw it at the time. But later on, I realized he was true. It takes finances to do ministry, so the, it stands to reason. The anointing for ministry is an anointing for finance. And I put that together. Now, I, I wasn't raised poor. I was raised poor. Y'all know the difference? <laughs> Anybody raised in my neighborhood? I wasn't raised poor. I was raised poor. Only it's the most amazing thing. We didn't even know we were Poe when we were Poe. You understand what I'm talking about? I had to grow up before I realized I was poor. And that, I could not do ministry without breaking this curse of finance. You need to hear what I'm saying. I'm talking to you about a spiritual principle. I have had a breakthrough in anointing. And what it did was not just give me a breakthrough in ministry, it gave me a breakthrough in finance. But I came to a crossroads with God. You don't even know what I'm talking about because, I, like I said, I've never even had this conversation with my wife. But I bet some of you thought about it before because you've been smart enough to see through this. But I'll just let you know how it works out. I made a deliberate pact with God. I spend 60 hours a week traveling as it is right now, planes, trains, and automobiles. I do the whole thing. Okay, at least 108 hours in the week for me to live, enjoy my family, and do ministry, and eat, and sleep, and whatever else is required in between. Amen. Now, I've given up my social life. I don't have one. If I get to heaven and there's no social life, God and I are going to have a problem. That's all I can say. Because I put that on hold till then. There better be a party. You know what I'm talking about? Because I laid all that down here. Don't have time for it here, but I'm going to make up for it when I get over there. If I dance louder, shout, uh, uh, dance faster, shout louder than anybody else there, just say he's making up for what he gave up when he... You hear what I'm saying? I'm going to have fun when I get to heaven. How about you? But the point that I'm making is this. I had to make a decision. I have an anointing that I can bring breakthrough in finances, and I've done that in congregations across the world and in ministries across the world. My spiritual sons have breakthrough after breakthrough. They get in a hard place, they call me. I pray for them, speak a word over them, boom, breakthrough occurs. You know why that happens? I'm going to tell you. I told God this. This is my calling. I am called to pastor. I am called to, to, to reach people around the world. There have only been seven years of my life I haven't traveled in ministry, and I've been in ministry 44 years. And those seven years were the first seven I came here. And I stayed here because I needed to sink down some roots and get to know people and, and mentor people and love people through some hurt and stuff until I had become the pastor. But now I, I realized that I, I, I have a, an anointing to mentor people, not just within this congregation, but, but raise up ministries around the world. We just last weekend graduated our 2,500 student from one of our Bible colleges. Amen. Now, you say, why don't you talk more about that? I'm going to tell you why. I never want you to feel like I'm divided in my calling. This church has my passion and my love. 
and my devotion. I'm kind of like Willie Nelson. You were always on my mind. You know what I mean? There's not a day that goes by that I'm not praying for this congregation and this church. But I'm also doing other things in ministry. But that made me come to a decision. I can't have a business if I don't stay there and run it. I can't have... I can't build a financial kingdom. So you know what I said? God, let me impart that to the people that connect with me. And I've never shared that with you. But that's why you see some people getting blessed and I have the capacity to speak a word. And it was Jerry Hartless that sat there and figured all of that out. Now, having said that, why do I have an anointing to do this? I want to tell you why. This was my mess. I was raised not poor, poor. But the devil and I had to talk about that. And as a result, I gained authority that I did not have when I was growing up. And some of you have authority. All I can say is walk it out, walk it out. You need to develop it and live in it because you've been through some stuff. Oh, somebody in the building shout yes right now. Your mess is your message. And where you've had a breakthrough... You have authority to bring breakthrough into the lives of others. You lay hands on them and pray for them in Jesus' name. and Oh, you go to praying to God for them because you've got authority in the lives of others. And the principle, again, I've shared with you is where Jesus was wounded on his back, that's where he brings healing. Because where you are wounded is where you now receive authority to heal. If you can be wounded and not go under, if you can be wounded and keep on ticking, take a licking and never stop working. If you can be wounded and keep on smiling. Oh, I'm preaching better than. If you can be wounded and keep happy. If you can be wounded and keep worshiping. If you can be wounded and keep loving God and going to church. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have a breakthrough. And when you do, you're going to bring a breakthrough to somebody else. I'm done. Know the difference between a call and a burden. Number two, what is God telling you? Number three, what is God telling others, particularly those that are close to you and also your spiritual covering? Number four, what is your passion? And number five, what is your struggle? Your struggle is indicative of your destiny. Hmm. Number six, what is your gifting? Because God will never to call you, never call you to pursue a destiny that is not gifted you to fulfill. Never. It's in there. It may be in seed form, and this is why you've got to be careful. Because everything God gives, 12 immutable laws of destiny, He gives in seed form. Your responsibility to grow the seed. Amen. Hear what I'm talking about right now. Your gifts will be a clue if you develop them to your destiny. In other words, if you're five foot one and a half and you think your calling is to play in the NBA, I doubt you've heard God. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, it's unlikely. And if you're 98 pounds soaking wet, you are not called to block for the Texans. Don't even go to try out. That's not your gift. Your gift is a clue as to your calling. And so but the, the caveat here is you've got to develop your gift because if you just look at it in seed form, it's not impressive. Seed's never impressive. What's impressive is when you take seed and sow it, and then it comes up, and you see the harvest. That's what's impressive. That will blow your mind. 
Seed may not impress or impact you, but develop your gift and watch what it does. That is where you will impact the lives of others. Somebody in the building, say hallelujah. I'm sorry. Please forgive me for the personal references today, but I'm going to use one more. And I do apologize. And I think if you know me, you know that sometimes people have a problem with arrogancy and they have a problem with ego and pride. The one thing I've never had in ministry is a problem with pride. Never. And again, if you know me well, it's because you know where I came from. When you're told that you'll never do much with your life, and after a while, you know, all the mess that you've been in, God begins to elevate you. You know it was God. Had it not been for the Lord. Amen. But God. Amen. You get this figured out. You get that straight. The problem is people oftentimes want to read in you and see in you and assign to you what they're struggling with. You ever have anybody do that? They look at you and judge you when really they think they're, you know, that they're discerning a problem in you and it's not in you, it's in them. Amen. They judge you on the basis of what they're, they're dealing with on the inside. And so people that have a problem with ego oftentimes think everybody else around them does. Not so. Some of us, that's not the issue. I can tell you that. And so when people come and tell me, hey, you did a good job, pastor, so forth, you know what I always say? I always say this, thank you very much. Isn't God good? To God be the glory. Amen. You know why? Because I know where I came from. I was so introverted and tongue-tied. My gifts were in such seed form, I couldn't even see the seed. But I had passion, and I began to develop and grow the seed that I didn't even know was there. And as I grew it, the gifting began to emerge. Now, with me, it probably took longer than with most, most folk because I've preached now uh, many years. And in these years, I've spent 18 and a half of those in evangelistic ministry where I preached every night. And often as many as four times a day. I didn't just do the night services. We had prayer meetings I preached at and radio and all of this other stuff. And I have preached as often as seven times a day. I think one time I even preached eight times a day. Amen. In a conference overseas where they, they, they say, we're going to use you. They, they do. They use you. <laughs> use you until there's nothing left. <laughs> Amen. And I, and I love every minute of it. But you don't need to worry about me ever feeling like I, I have done a, a great job. Not that I have insecurities in this regard now. I'm comfortable in my calling. So don't feel like I'm, this is a confession that I'm making. I'm just telling you my journey and my struggle and where God and His grace has brought me to. Now, the insecurity thing, I put that behind me. I'm very comfortable now. Amen. Because I know that when I step up here, He's getting ready to step in and take over. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. Amen. And so, I'm happy with that. But it wasn't that way at the first. And what made me keep going back when I was terrified and petrified and living in fear... And my stomach queasy and tied in knots and stuttering and stammering and my hands shaking and having to put my hands in my pockets because of the terror of being in front of a crowd and trying to speak. What, what, what brought me all through that? This was my destiny. It was the passion. Until finally I grew my seed into, gift, into, into a developed form. My gifting began to emerge. But I learned long ago. What's that song Andre Kraut sings? If I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. To God be the glory. Yeah, that's what I learned in all this. So anything that I will ever do for God, 
I know where he brought me from, but here's what I'm trying to communicate and telling you that little personal reference is that when I began, I didn't see the evidence of a gift. It wasn't there. I'm simply, I didn't see it. The seeds were so small, but I worked what he gave me. And over time, I have been able to now discern what my destiny is, but you can't do that if you don't grow your seed. And so is it meant to be easy? No. It's meant to be a challenge. It's meant to be difficult. It's meant to be a struggle because in the middle of that struggle, all of these things that I'm talking about here, these six points I've made today, begin to tie together. And they begin to develop meaning in your life until you reach the point where you find yourself right in the middle of the will of God and you know no weapon formed against me is going to prosper now. Because it's not me, and it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord, that is working in me. Amen. And in you. And so I, I came today to tell you this. You are mighty like you don't even know. You are powerful like you've never dreamed. You have the capacity within you to change every situation you walk into. You are a breakthrough artist whether you realize it or not. You can bring breakthrough in somebody's life. All you got to do is figure out why you're here. And life will be a dream fulfilled for you. Yes, it will. Stand with me across the building if you would. And come and join me as I conclude this message now. And we pray together. I feel the Holy Spirit so wonderfully near in this place today. I will tell you this, that if you don't know God... It's virtually impossible to feel your destiny. Come, everybody join me right now. If you don't know God, it's impossible to fulfill your destiny.